Hey, Freeway, uh, welcome back. And thanks, uh, Samara and Tim and the Viking family for bringing us the reading this morning and, and from Luke's Gospel. Uh, I'm kind of grinning here because in the background uh, behind us, all the techies are just like, ah, oh, we've had a few problems this morning, internet going down, all kinds of stuff, and they're working feverishly uh, to keep us live and keep us on the air. So um, good, good work to those guys. Hey, uh, let's pray and we'll crack into this story that Luke actually brings to us from the perspective of, of Mary. Like Matthew's Gospel uh, brings us the perspective of Joseph, just a brief little one. But this one's kind of like Luke went to Mary's house and they put the kettle on and, and Mary sort of retells this most incredible story uh, of in human history of when God came and did uh, the impossible and not just as a part of human history, but also in the lives of, of people so that they could respond uh, with faith to the good news about Jesus. So um, let's uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. A loving God, uh, we are grateful. We've been grateful this morning for lots of things. Uh, but this morning, above all things, as we've shared in communion, uh, we are we are grateful for Jesus, all the promises that are attached to him that are made realities in our lives by the work of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we continue to pray uh, week in, week out for those who are working um, tirelessly uh, for vaccines and for effective treatments to this virus and uh, the disease that inflicts, inflicts so many people. We thank you, God, that you created us uh, with the capacity for, for science and for medicine and for research. And we lift up those who are sick uh, for recovery and healing. Uh, we hold before you in prayer those who are working in various environments, uh, whether they're the medical ones or the, in the goods and services or education, for safety and strength and resilience. And we pray for mums and dads as they juggle work and homeschooling in different environments. Uh, we pray for those who are cut off uh, and alone, isolated due to the restrictions. Uh, we know that you are a God who is near to the weary and the crushed in spirit. Now as our hearts turn and our minds turn to uh, the story of Mary in Luke's Gospel, would, would she serve as a model to us of what it is to place your life in the hands of a God who does the impossible? And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I imagine, or sometimes I think, lots of people have uh, a prayer to prayer that goes something like this. God, if you if you could just prove to me that you're real, uh, if you could just do something to prove your realness, I'd, I'd believe in you. I'd give my life to you. If you could do something that was so undeniably uh, impossible, I'd know that you would real. I know I could have faith. Maybe it could be something like the AFL season actually getting underway and Carlton are winning their 17th premiership. Then we'd know, wouldn't we? I wonder what kind of thinking, though, is, is in a prayer like this, what it has in mind. Most of the time, I think, if we're honest, we're asking God to do something impossible that gives us something that we aren't able to achieve for ourselves, get for ourselves. And the prayer is more to do uh, with our ambitions and our desires than, than actually having and ending up with a faith in God and what that leads us to. I wonder how we genuinely respond to the news that God did something that seemed 
so impossible to us. Not because he needs to prove himself to us, but because it's his desire to move towards us, to come towards us, turn our worlds upside down in such a way that we move from these manipulating uh, demands of God to a faith of uh, joyful submission. Well, Luke's retelling of this historic account of this virgin conception is a story where God does the impossible. And, and this news comes to us and brings to us the reality of salvation that's attached to this impossible news. God is doing uh, impossible things and, and bringing salvation and grace uh, into the world. Once again, uh, our good friend, the historian Dr. Luke, he fixes this story that, that uh, Samara's read to us this morning uh, in its real setting uh, with actual people, with, with actual places. Luke lets us know uh, that it's six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy and that kind of places it and connects it to the story of John. Uh, Luke lets us know that these are real places that were familiar to his audience. Uh, these people could be found. These places could be visited. The original readers of this gospel uh, could have gone there and, and, and asked questions of these people about Luke's account. Uh, virgin conception uh, sounds impossible, Mary. You know, well, what can I say? But to quote an old friend, nothing is impossible for God. If you can concede that there is a God, what kind of God have you imagined? You know, one of your own making or, or one that can do the impossible. It's a solid point, Mary, you make. This, this recording of Luke's is not as some people have tried to suggest some mythological story uh, made up by the church to compete with or sit alongside other mythological stories, you know, God coming and producing demigods, uh, anything you can do, we can do better uh, kind of thing. This is real history. Apart from their placement in their historic context, uh, the story of the virgin conception is, is not a parallel, is not a remodeling, is not a competitive story to other stories. It is completely unique and unheard of in, in, its, in its thinking, singular in its beauty and scandalous in its content. The setting of the story and the details of the story do not sit well with mythological tales. The characters, <clears throat> the geographical setting don't enhance the story. Rather, uh, they're uncomfortable, uh, they're underwhelming, they're uninspiring. Uh, you don't write myths like this, you write history like this. Good history, which is, is what we've come to expect from Luke uh, in this short time and space. At this, at this point in time, as, as Mary retells the story to Luke, as she thinks back to that time, she would have been very, a very young girl when all this unfolded, when all this happened. Uh, possibly some say as young as, as 13. She doesn't come from nobility. Uh, she's a peasant. She's a, she's a nobody. She has no wealth. Uh, she is across all lines poor. She was probably illiterate. Everything she learned about her faith, she learned from listening to her parents and things like that. Uh, she has no formal education and apart from this story that unfolds in her life, she would have never travelled any further than her hometown. And her husband Joseph is likewise. He is a similar nobody in a no town. Uh, only thing that he has going for him is he's a trader, a chippy, can't help that. Uh, and maybe he has some formal teaching. 
The only note or the only distinguishing note uh, of, about these two, about both uh, Joseph and Mary, is that they are from the house of King David. Mary may have been impoverished uh, by worldly standards, but she demonstrates that her short life uh, has has been well invested into, well sown into by faithful parents who have filled her heart with the promises of God. We find a, a very faithful, very um, a knowledge of God, loving God little girl here. Uh, she is well aware that when an angel turns up and begins to quote a few Davidic promises to her, she doesn't miss that. She grabs it. They live in a place called Nazareth in the area of Galilee, uh, which unlike uh, Jerusalem down in Judea, uh, where the heartland of God's activity was, Nazareth is impoverished both economically and spiritually. It's kind of a shady little corrupt uh, halfway stop between two port cities in a region that was overrun, if you like, mongrelized in, in, its, in, its, in its citizenship by Gentiles and, and Roman soldiers and pretty much despised by any good, upstanding Jewish citizen. Which is why Nathaniel uh, has response to when he hears that Jesus has come from Nazareth. He, he's so jaded. He's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? And the reason why we take the time to unpack all of this uh, that would have been common knowledge to um, Luke's original audience is because we don't want to miss Luke's uh, historic intent. That God does the impossible with the improbable and with the insignificant. The greatest news that has ever been spoken was spoken to a pretty much the most insignificant person you could ever dream to find. Martin Luther says, God may well have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold embroiderment, raiment, and attended to by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. The first thing we learn is that, is that this impossible, in this impossible story is that God loves to make much of the humble and the lonely that his grace and his favour extends towards those uh, who may feel the most unlikely of candidates. There was nothing impressive about Mary from a worldly perspective. Uh, She was um, not, uh, as people have assumed, full of grace, as some have misleadingly said, but rather Mary actually becomes the object of grace. Uh, The greeting from the angel positions Mary as passive in the announcement. Any favour, any grace and blessing was actually bestowed on her by God. The Bible tells us two things about Mary that we can know for certain. One was that she was the mother of Jesus and at the same time she needed the the saving grace of Jesus. Mary's role uh, in this impossible story, is not to be uh, the agent of grace, uh, but to receive it. And this shows us uh, that the same kind of grace that comes to her can also come to us. Uh, her experience is certainly not ours. Her experience is unique, but her example, her example as someone lowly, someone that, um, in inconsequential is met by the grace of God. God shows merit and favour to the lowly uh, sinners. You know, even when we feel small, even when we feel insignificant and overlooked by the world, this story can tell us that we know that God is for us. 
not overlooking us because of our lowly estate in life or our lowly understanding of ourselves. Well, it's to this lowly couple uh, that the angel arrives. Um, the angel does what angels do, and that is to let Mary know that she's not about to die. Uh, the angel's reassuring greeting that he was here because the Lord has shown favour to her and tells her that God is her personal aid, that he is for her. This announcement gets the gears of this young mind, of this girl's young mind spinning. God is with her and she is the object of his grace. What's God planning to do is what her mind is troubled about, what her mind is turning over and what, what might this be? The angel reassures Mary that what he is about to tell her should be heard under the banner of you have found favour with God. So no matter what is about to be said, uh, you, you should not be afraid of it. Now, this is only reassuring if you are convinced that God is good, that he is uh, uh, un, unlimited and unwavering uh, in his commitment for the welfare of those who receive his grace. You know, it will be extraordinarily difficult to accept God's uh, good news of grace and salvation on his terms and not yours if you don't trust that he is unconditionally good. The good God that the Bible portrays. And in his goodness, he has been relentless in um, miraculous ways so that we would come to know him as a loving father and not a wrathful judge. Our girl Mary has no such concerns as she listens to this most extraordinary news begin to be explained to her. Despite the fact, and perhaps precisely because of the fact that she is a virgin, she will conceive in her womb a son. This son is to be called Jesus, which means God saves or the Lord is salvation. It's a common enough name amongst the kids born around that time, but on this occasion it's actually a job description for this child. But before this little thinker can interrupt, Gabriel proceeds to explain the true significance of this child. This child will be great. And unlike John the Baptist, who uh, was to be great before the Lord, this child's greatness is completely unqualified. It's without limit. In the Old Testament, whenever the word great is used without qualification, it is uh, almost always uh, with reference to God himself. God's wisdom is great. His works are great. God's power is great. His mercy is great. We read time and time again throughout the Psalms. So great is God's unqualified greatness that he alone is only described in this way. This is the angel Gabriel's testimony to the divinity of Jesus. His greatness is unqualified because he will be God in the flesh. To add another reinforcing layer to the uniqueness of this child, Jesus, the angel says, uh, uses one of King David's favourite expressions or descriptions of God. David would often call God most high. Only now he says, this child is the son of the most high. It's a very tight, a very specific connection of the relationship that this child has with God. Mary, his humanity comes from you being his mother, but his divinity and his authority come from being sent by God himself. Gabriel then moves back uh, from the divinity of this child back into the, the humanity of this child and how he's 
humanness as a descent from King David. Uh, he is going to rule with a never-ending majesty on a royal throne over the house of Jacob. Gabriel basically uh, quotes a Davidic uh, covenant that, that, that was promised to David about a Messiah, a great redeemer of people who would come uh, and redeem and rescue the descendants of Jacob. And whenever we hear a reference to Jacob, we know that Jacob was a messed up unit that, that was restored, who had his heart transformed uh, by the grace of God. Uh, this child will fulfill that ancient promise. Here is what Mary just heard. In God's unmerited favour and grace, you will, you will give birth to a child of unparalleled greatness because he is essentially fully God and fully man. And in that capacity, he will fulfill God's ancient promises to David and Jacob by saving his people uh, into an eternal kingdom and community. Well, it's a bit to take in, but unlike uh, a lot of people who hear this news, uh, that God has broken into human history in, with an unparalleled saviour uh, for sinful people, uh, most people kind of doubt or disbelieve uh, this news, uh, probably because the method is, is not biologically possible or scientifically impossible. Not so with our girl Mary. Mary continues to ponder. She continues to think deeply about the news that she's receiving. In Mary, Luke has found a model for how people should receive uh, the news about Jesus. And in Jesus, Luke is showing us how an all-powerful God uh, humbles himself to accommodate uh, the salvation of sinful people. Right from the announcement of Jesus' arrival into the womb of Mary, we are witnesses to this beautiful uh, juxtaposition of the meekness and the majesty that will define the ministry and the life of Jesus and all that he will go on to do. The divine son of God with unlimited uh, greatness is going to be born into poverty, uh, born into obscurity. He'll go on to encounter homelessness. He will encounter rejection, persecution, torture. He'll even encounter death. Perhaps more amazing than a child conceived in a virgin's womb is the news that this child is God who intends to identify across every line with those who he is coming to save. Well, Mary asks one simple question about this news, about from all her thoughts. As I'm a virgin, I don't plan on changing that until after I marry my boy Joseph. How will this be? How, how am I going to do all of this that you talk about? Unlike Zachariah's question that asked, how will I, how will I know? Expressing personal doubt, Mary asks, ex- expressing personal expectation, searching for more information, uh, not doubting what she's already heard, but rather asking, what does God now want her to do? The angel gives Mary an answer that is both uh, as informative as it is mysterious. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In short, do nothing, Mary. God is the active agent in this story. 
in language that captures uh, the Old Testament's depiction of the Holy Spirit as being the uh, active, actively involved in everything that God has ever done. The great agent of power behind creation, hovering over the waters. Uh, the great agent of life, breathing life into us. Uh, the great agent behind manifesting the presence of God with, with his people as they move along will now be the one to accomplish the adding of humanity to the divinity of the second person of the triune God. As John's Gospel describes it, uh, in, in Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. What had, what had previously been impossible to dare to imagine, a God who would, who would lower himself, a God who would set aside his glory, his majesty to move towards us, uh, not to be served by us, but to serve us and uh, to save us is now being described in this story. This is God identifying with the people he has come to save in every single way, apart from the sinful condition that uh, normal people are born into. The virgin conception, far from being impossible for God, is precisely the manner in how he achieves being fully human while remaining holy, a divine, as the angel says. Uh, no sinful condition to separate him from God. No sinful condition that needs to be forgiven. Uh, no need of redemption. Just a perfect life to be given for us. Fallen humanity could not produce a saviour. Not one that could, could change our sinful condition before God. And as Jesus would point out himself, you know, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Sinful people just make more sinful people. But the Holy Spirit is the one who, 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 who makes people right with God by bringing their dead hearts back to life. As we, as we respond faithfully uh, to the news about Jesus, it's that same power uh, that overshadowed the virgin's womb to bring to life in full humanity the Son of God. It's that same power that will then go and raise Jesus from the dead. It's that same power that comes to us and convicts us of our sinful hearts, of their sin, and then offers toward us a quality of eternal life that Jesus now has in his resurrected state. You see, nothing is impossible for God. Our salvation had to come from somewhere outside of ourselves. It had to come from divine initiation. It had to come from divine intervention. Therefore, God sends Jesus into the world as the perfect son of God, not to condemn the world, but to save it. The virgin conception, God becoming a human, is without doubt the most miraculous event to ever take place. But Luke, with historic detail and biblical fulfillment, is letting us know that that is exactly how God rolls. In Jesus, he turns all our ideas about how to make ourselves accepted by him, approved by him, loved by him, upside down. It has nothing to do with our merit. It has nothing to do with our activities. It has nothing to do with our actions. And everything to do with God's impossible grace and power to initiate our salvation, uh, beginning with the announcement of this conception of Jesus in the womb of a virgin. We need to be more like Mary. We need to ask more questions that lead us into a better understanding of the saving uh, activity of God. 
so that at some point we can utter the, in, these incredible words of faith. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. These are words that you utter when you trust God's word to you. Mary is open to the impossible. Mary ponders, she thinks, she reasons and she explores and she believes and she submits. And Luke holds her as a, as a pattern of, of Christian faith, uh, one that we should uh, take um, cues from and encouragement from as we, as we look at this story this morning of how a God does the impossible to come into the world to save us. Hey, one last thing, uh, just as we're closing up. And just because Mary is as jacked up and as messed up as, as you and I are, she will need support and assurance and reassurance. And God does not leave Mary on an island with this information and, and with this um, life ahead of her. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. The angel lets Mary know that her relative Elizabeth, who has been barren all her life, is now six months pregnant. This is more than just a confirmation of God's ability to do the impossible. It's a provision of grace. It's a provision of fellowship. This is God's loving care. Who better than Elizabeth to support and mentor and guide this young girl, Mary, through all that lies ahead? Who better than Zachariah to get hold of and take hold of young Joseph and speak into his life as this young couple uh, step into what God has called them to do? You know, when God does the impossible, when he asks uh, what seems impossible, he doesn't make it impossible for us. He fills our lives with Elizabeth's. He fills our lives with Zachariah's. Our current climate makes access to these kinds of people a bit challenging. But we are blessed with a crazy tech. Um, we don't need to sneak off into the hill country to, get, to go and do this. So make sure, uh, even in this time, you can stay connected to the Elizabeths and the Zacharias in your life uh, that God has placed there, that he has put in there to nurture and, and, and help develop uh, this impossible faith that is made possible uh, through the arrival of Christ in this story. Hey, let's pray. Um, and and uh, then we're going to head into our last song. And Lord, we thank you for this uh, story this morning that Luke has recorded down to us of this, it's this impossible seeming scenario of a virgin conceiving a child uh, who would then go on to be the saviour of the world. Only uh, only a God like you can 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 move toward us like this. We give you thanks that uh, you love us enough to humble yourself, to lift us up in your grace. We give you thanks and praise this morning in Jesus' name.